Good morning. Is Christ your cornerstone this morning? Because if he is, then through the storm, you're going to hang on. I wonder if you ever heard the saying, you're putting me on. You ever heard that? You're putting me on. Cambridge Dictionary says this about the saying, a put on. They say it's an attempt to deceive somebody into believing something that is absolutely not true. And, and the example they use is, she's not really mad. She's just putting you on. Jesus, trying to explain the deception and trappings of sin, said this in John 8, 34. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. But then once saved by grace, this is what the Apostle Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. If you are in Christ this morning, you're a Christian and your sins have been forgiven. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart and he wants to do a radical change within you. And so once Christ comes to live within us, he gives us all we need for life and godliness. And he wants to give us the power now to live for him. So if you say, I just can't do it, that's actually a lie. You have the power as a Christian to live for him. So now we're to say goodbye to the old man. See you later. It's habits, it's passions, it's practices that we did when we were controlled by the flesh. Because he has given us new life, he has given us his spirit, he has given us all these things and made us new creations in his image. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open with me to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue in that verse by verse study. So last week I had more than a couple people come and say, wow, that was such an encouraging, feel-good message. And all I could think is, just wait till next week. <laughs> the, the Apostle Paul, just like most of the Bible, is so awesome that he wants to tell us who we are in Christ, how we're loved, we're redeemed, we're a new creation. We are all that. But then he says, and now this is how that looks. And so last week we learned about being hidden in Christ. And, and we started with Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he said, since you have been raised with Christ, this is why and this is how. And Paul was saying that Jesus should be the very center of your life. And we said, which includes, by the way, and most important, I would say, our thought life. We become children of the Most High God, so we're no longer citizens of earth. Now we're citizens of heaven. And why? Because you died. Not, not you were putting makeup on and make you look better. No, you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And since he is in heaven, set your mind on things where he is at the right hand of the Father. And then finally we learned, and this is... Just a mind boggler for me. I mean, I've heard it for, for years now and I still can't wrap my mind around it. Is that we are going to appear in glory fully glorified. Everything I need is in Christ. 
Christ lives in me. He does for me what I can never do for myself, and he's given me all I need for life and godliness. So again, this morning, in typical Pauline fashion, Paul is going to give the best, therefore, application to the wonderful truths we learned last week, that we're new creations, our lives are hidden in Christ, and all those things. And now, therefore, because of that, here you go. So in Christ... We are not trying to do the great put on, deceiving people into thinking that we're something we're not. Instead, Paul this morning is going to tell you about the great put off that you are to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, religion teaches that we do all these wonderful good works to earn God's favor. But relationship tells us, no, we do these things as a response because we know he loves us already. And so if you have your sermon notes there, Roman numeral one, your old life is crucified, so kill your earthly habits. If your Bibles are open, Colossians chapter three, let's begin with verse five. And again, the greatest therefore in this passage, right there, Paul starts out, therefore, because of all those things from last week, Put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I told you last week may have been a feel-good message, but hold on. (laughs) Again, the reason for life change, the reason any of this can happen since then, because you've been raised with Christ, it's a response I respond out of love. And so notice it says we're to put to death. Put to death. That means completely wipe it out. Completely take extreme measures to kill that stuff out of your life. You see, here's here's the bottom line to the whole sermon today. You can write this down and stop listening. Okay? Because your life is hidden in Christ, it's time to die to yourself. Wow. (laughs) The King James Version says this in that verse. It says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth. Mortify. I mean, mortality, right? Kill them. Not wound them. Not dress them up. Not put them away. Kill them. Get rid of them. Place them in the place as dead. This is a proactive step for the Christ follower. And and even though we've been crucified with Christ, test me on this and don't show me your hands because I know it's true. I've talked to your spouses. But even though we've been crucified with Christ, we still sin, right? Not, not, Not a one of us has completely put away sin out of our life. If you have, God would take you home because he'd be done with you. But not one of us have put away all them habits that we did when we were controlled by the flesh. There in your notes, the Greek tense used here, put to death, suggests a decisive and urgent action in killing our earthly habits. Paul said to the Romans in Romans eight thirteen, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The command again, the imperative of the command again is because 
Therefore, because of who you are in Christ, this is your response. And by the way, don't try and do it in your power. It's frustrating. There's no way you can. But since you've been united to Christ, we make a conscious choice to live for him. Merriam-Webster said this about the word hypocrite. You, you ever hear someone, I go to church, but there's too many hypocrites? And I always say, come on in, we can use one more. But Merriam-Webster said this about the word hypocrite. It's from the Greek, and it means to be an actor or a stage player. In ancient Greek theaters, actors wore these huge masks, and it would determine which character they were playing, and they'd actually have a mask in each hand. And at one moment, you know, like a geisha girl sort of thing, and then the next moment they were another. And so it, whatever mask they were playing that role... The word later took an extended meaning to refer to any person, catch this, who was wearing a figurative mask and pretending to be something or someone they were not. A hypocrite. Once in Christ, if we continue and continue and continue that old behavior from our old lives, we're actually being hypocritical because we are acting like somebody we are not. Do you understand? You are a new creation. And so when you behave like the old person, you're being hypocritical. Not in the sense that the world would say, but in the sense that you're an actor. That's not who you are anymore. Live your new life in Christ. That person has been crucified and it no longer lives. And again, unfortunately, there's not a one of us who have died completely to sin. But can I tell you something else? There's not one sin in your life that does not need to be crucified. We're to crucify them all. And the sins that Paul mentions here to the church at Colossae were obviously problems within that church. But can I tell you this message is for us today, too? As I go down the list, listen up and tell me if any of these kind of fit us. And again, don't show me your hands because I talked to your spouse. I know they fit you. So let's talk about some of the things that Paul mentioned here in verse 5. The first one is fornication. Can I just tell you, as I was doing this message, I was like, can't we have like two feel-goods in a row, Lord? Fornication. It's the Greek word pornea, which is, of course, where we get our word pornography. But before you go saying, yeah, that guy on the Internet, let me tell you what this describes. Hold on tight. It describes any sexual immorality, but not limited to the thought life and any sexual activity outside of a God-ordained, designed marriage. Let, let me repeat that in case you didn't catch on. And I'm sorry if I'm pounding the pulpit this morning. I am talking to myself as well as all y'all. It includes any sexual immorality not limited to the thought life and any sexual activity outside of a God-designed marriage. Let's move on quickly. Number two there in your notes. Uncleanness, in a moral sense, describes the impurity, a lust or lustful or indulgent living or having impure motives. Impure motives. Three, passion. In a bad sense, means a depraved passion, vile passions. Number four, evil desire is a craving with thinking, 
feeling, acting base, wrong, or wicked. And then the best one, covetousness, which is being greedy with a desire to have more or wanting something that belongs to somebody else. Why is that the worst sin? I look unto the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. My, my help comes from the Lord. Right? Everything I need, everything I have comes from the Lord. So when I'm being covetous, what I am doing is actually accusing God of not being good. That's why it's so bad. Because I am looking at God and saying, God, you didn't give me enough. God, you're holding out on me. And God would say, I've given you all you need for life and godliness. And no, God, you haven't. I want more. Then Paul adds, notice he adds, which is idolatry. And you go, ooh. There in your notes, covetousness happens when we want something or someone that God has not given us. We tend to worship the thing or person we want, which is idolatry. Here's a good test. You know, when someone makes me angry or upset, I have this bad habit of giving them a lot of my thought time. How about you? And so God would say, have your mind stayed on me and I'll give you perfect peace, Isaiah 26.3 tells us. I'll give him perfect peace whose mind stayed on me. And instead, what's my mind stayed on? That person or that situation. And so when you think about this, who is on the throne of your heart while you're sitting there giving all your thought time to that thing or person? You are actually worshiping that thing. And you would say, I hate that person. I'm not worshiping. Well, you're giving a lot of time to the thing you hate. And the result of all these bad habits is the same. It's worshiping false gods. Listen to what Kyle Eidelman said about this. He said, God is jealous for your heart. Not because he's petty or insecure, but because he loves you. The reason why God has such a huge problem with idolatry is that his love for you is all-consuming. He loves you too much to share. Wearsby said it this way, centuries ago in England, if a pickpocket was convicted, they would cut off his right hand. If he was convicted a second time, they'd cut off his left hand. One pickpocket, true story in history, had both hands cut off and yet he continued his trade, taking wallets with his teeth. Here's the moral of the story. Physical surgery can never change a human heart. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us to stop these things. We need the Holy Spirit's power. We have to relent and give up and let him rule. And, and remember, Paul says in Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So everything that the Holy Spirit can do lives inside of me. Am I giving him free reign or am I taking over the wheel? Okay, and so it gets better. Roman numeral two, God's wrath is coming. <laughs> I didn't write Colossians. I didn't write it. And we go verse by verse, whether, we, anyway. Verse six, 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Because of these things, obviously points back to verse 5, right? So because of fornication, because of uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, the wrath of God is coming. Now let's describe wrath before I give you the good news to this passage. Wrath, according to Strong's Concordance, is punishments inflicted by magistrates. In other words, someone that has the right to. Wrath is also defined as the emotional response to perceived wrong or injustice. Now, we're all smart enough to realize that God has wrath and man has wrath, right? <laughs> the big difference between man's wrath and God's wrath is usually God's wrath is based on his holiness and his character. There in your notes, God's wrath is based off his holiness and is justified, where our wrath is usually emotional and not holy nor justified. If you get the wrath of rich, it's probably not a good thing. Rarely happens, by the way. As, as the Lord was giving the law to Moses way back in Exodus, this is what it says in Exodus twenty-two twenty-two. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. God's wrath is always in response to sin and idolatry. And so the bad news is found in Romans 3.23, right? When we were teaching Awana, we used to do the good news, bad news scenario. The bad news, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you ever attended Awana more than once and you don't know that verse, you were not paying attention. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And then my favorite word in all the Bible, but... Circle that. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, not only were we all born in natural sin, but every one of us have made a conscious choice to continue in that sin. Right? We have all chosen to sin. And now under the new covenant, now comes the good news. Take a sigh of relief. <sighs> he's not going on like this for too much longer. No, he's not. Under the new covenant, the wrath of God still exists, but the Lord has given us a remedy, an escape clause from his wrath, from the consequences of his wrath. There in your notes, and this is the good news. God applies Jesus Christ's death to all who will receive him by faith in order to satisfy the consequence of his wrath. There's the great choice. And that's what the world needs to hear. Someone has to take the consequence of God's wrath for your sin. Somebody has to. Why in the world do you want to do it yourself? When God will impute all that onto Jesus and take Jesus' righteousness and impute it to you if you just have faith in what he did. That's the good news. Someone ought to say amen. 
Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world so that we might have life in his name. Anyone, anyone who would receive can have that pardon. Romans 6, 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So positionally, for the Christian, even though these things still exist in our lives, when God looks down, he sees his son Jesus in us, and we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's the great choice that the world needs to hear. Do you want to face these consequences on your own? Or do you want to be covered by the blood of the Lamb? What a sad thing that someone would say, let me take my own punishment. The forgiveness Jesus offers on the cross completely takes away the sin and the guilt, wipes it out. The wrath of God's a terrifying thing. Why would you want to face God's wrath on your own? Why? For those who have accepted Jesus Christ, the wrath of God will never come upon you. Prove that to me by scripture. Okay, glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That great exchange. Notice verse 7, Paul says, In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You see, our sins are rebellion against God and God alone. But for those who have received Christ's forgiveness, our sins become past tense. Yeah, but I still, your sins become past tense, but I still struggle. But your sins became past tense because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all my sin, all of it, not some of it. And since we've been raised with Christ, now we're to walk in the newness of life, not like sons of disobedience. Can I tell you something? Here comes the but to this message too. Though I'm cleansed, and though when God the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ, and I am washed clean, I am perfect, holy, redeemed, righteous in his eyes, if I'm a true Christian, if I truly have the Holy Spirit living in my heart, I'll never be comfortable with a lifestyle of sin again. You know who the most miserable people on the face of the planet are? This is what I've learned, is a backslidden Christian. Find you a backslidden Christian. That's the way Kansas says it, I think. Find you a backslidden Christian and watch how miserable they truly are. Why? Because the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, is chasing them. And they can't stand it. Most of you know my testimony. In my teens, my dad died, and, and I went on a five-year rebellion to, in Christ. And I mean, I ran back to the world hard and fast. And people say, how do you know you were saved? Because let me tell you something. There were two things while I was backslidden for five years that couldn't happen. If you came to me and tried to preach Jesus to me, we were going out in the parking lot and we were going to settle it. 
The other thing, however, if you came and spoke bad about my Jesus to me, we were going out in the parking lot and we were going to settle it. I was mad at my Jesus. I can be mad at my Jesus. Don't you badmouth my Jesus. And I remember during those five years, there were times I was so, so, so miserable. And every time I'd try to go two steps over the line, I mean, it was like the hound of heaven just grabbed me and pulled me back. I hated those times. I look back very fondly on those times now because I know that he never left me and he never forsook me, even in my deepest, darkest need. He was there with me. And, And so we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But if you can comfortably live in a lifestyle of sin, you had better do a heart check because the Holy Spirit will not allow that there in your notes. God's wrath is coming upon those who refuse the way of escape provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. But for those who accept the free gift of salvation through Christ, we're redeemed. We're redeemed. Okay, so what's my response as a Christ follower? Look at verse 8. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. In the original language, what Paul is describing here is changing your outfit. It's a changing of clothes. And after Mother's Day, of course, I won't give you the great put on for Mother's Day. But the week after Mother's Day, we'll talk about those things we're to put on. But for today, let's talk about the put offs. Ray Stedman said this. Putting off the old and putting on the new is the principle by which the possibilities that are in Christ become evident in our experience. The admonition of the apostle is to be constantly recognizing and rejecting these false underlying assumptions that come from the old self, the old way of living. It is not merely deeds, you will notice, but outlooks and attitudes. This is what causes the problem, and that's what we we must reject. Put off means to divest yourself of all those things. Take them off, like old clothing. Paul, in the simplest of terms, to illustrate what we must do in the realm of our thought and our attitudes, there in your notes, we must reject those basic assumptions that have caused our trouble, putting them off, rejecting them, divesting ourselves of them, just as you would put off old, dirty clothes. So Colossians now is giving us those practical steps now that we are saved. Not to get us saved. No, since you're saved, now do these. If you desire the abundant life that Jesus Christ wants to give you, put those things off because they rob you of life. It isn't that he's saying you're a bad boy or girl if you do them. What he's saying is they're robbing your joy. They're robbing your abundant life, so put them off. Put them off. There in your notes, Christians are to put off the old sinful way of life, renew their mind with biblical truth, and put on the new godly way of life. And notice, the process isn't complete just by simply telling God, sorry, oh, sorry I sinned. Oh, sorry, I sinned. 
ask for forgiveness. Sorry, I sinned. Sorry, I sinned. And never having a change. No. Habitually saying you're sorry doesn't do it. It's not enough. You need to die. You need to kill that stuff. God intends for you to pursue the putting off and put off. So for this week, let's discuss a couple more things that Paul mentions here. He mentions anger, wrath, malice. These are sins towards other people. The word wrath refers to a sudden outburst of anger. Malice is ill will towards another person. If I have malice towards a person, I'm sad when they're successful and I'm happy when they fail. The exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul told us to do. Paul said in Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And my favorite part, don't be wise in your own opinion. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm wise, especially me. And then notice he mentions blasphemy. Blasphemy, we all always know that that's something against the character of God, right? And so we say blasphemy. But blasphemy is not just against the Lord. What it describes is slander out of our mouths towards another person. And then filthy communication. I don't need to tell you what that is, right? Foul speech, coarse humor, obscene language. And the idea is because we have a new nature, because we have the power living in us, access your power source. Stop doing it on your own. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But these sins grieve the heart of God. So it should grieve our heart as well. And then the very last thing that Paul mentions in this passage is lying. Lying. You see, lying comes naturally to Satan because he's the father of lies. But we have a different father. And so lying should not happen. I remember one time... In Plains, Kansas, me and my associate pastor were out hunting. I know, don't write me or email me. I'm a, I'm a heathen. Anyway, we were out hunting, and this church in Klamath Falls called me. And I'm in the pickup, hunting with my current associate pastor. And I answered the phone and said, hello, hey, I'm kind of busy. Can I call you back? Thank you. Click. So Skip looks over at me, and he says... Was that your family from California? Yep. And I want to tell you, the rest of the time hunting, I mean, I had my head between my legs the whole time. We got home, an hour goes by, and I finally called Skip, and it's late at night, and I said, hey, can I come over? Sure. He only lived a block away, Plains is Poquito. So I walked over to his house, and I said, I wasn't telling anyone this was going on. I didn't want anyone to know. But I can't sleep. I lied to you. And, you know, he was so sorry to hear it, but I was so convicted. It just came out so naturally. I was like, wow, that's not the new nature. That a lie can roll off my tongue that fast. There's a problem. Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Do you understand that lying is Satan's primary weapon against God's kids? And so we should speak the truth. Now, now here's the hard part in love, right? Christians should speak the truth in love. So let's get practical this morning, because there is a lot of practicalities within these few verses. And you can all take a sigh of relief. We're past them. But Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, the most important thing in life is to guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Above anything else. But what about making a living? No, above that. What about going to church and saying, no, above that too. Above everything else, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. The inner person, the core of our beings, our heart is our motives, our desires, our attitudes, our thoughts. And the disposition of our hearts determine our outward behaviors, our actions, and what comes out of our mouth. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Sin begins in the heart before it ever takes place in the physical. Sin always begins in the heart. And for a person to change their heart, the primary tool is the word of God and the spirit of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And catch this, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Do you ever wonder why when you flip open a passage and you flip to something and it... (laughs) Because the word of God is alive and it's active and it knows your heart and your thoughts. Man, I wish that weren't true. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. Catch this, if you think you're hidden from God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes to him to whom we must give an account. There in your notes, personal transformation is a process where the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to change us to become more Christ-like. You see, the more I know the word of God, the more I know Jesus, because this is all about him from Genesis to Revelation it's all about Jesus so the more I know this the more I know Jesus and the more transformation takes place the more I get to see Jesus the more he makes me like him who I am has everything to do with my relationship with him how I live is directly connected to how I believe because if I truly believe this stuff conviction happens and I change The old man, before I was saved by grace, the way I lived was all corrupt. It was all garbage. But now. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? The word of God. Your new life begins at the moment of salvation. God wants you in your old, ugly clothes. God wants the person out of the gutter with the needle still stuck in the arm. God wants that person. But if God truly comes to live within that person, he's going to change your clothes. He's going to change your heart. 
He's going to transform you. He's going to grow you. He's going to mature you. And as he begins to mature you, he's giving you all you need for life and godliness. And he's trying to grow you up. He supplies the passion. He supplies the motive. He supplies it all. He teaches us and he's leading us into righteousness. When we live in his power, this is what happens. First, we get the illumination of the heart. Next, we get this renewal, that, that, that continual grasp but to put God's word into practice in our life. And then we're renewed. And he gives us new desires, new attitudes, new motives. Everything becomes new. So that verse I opened up with, if anyone is in Christ... The old things pass away and, and over time he's given us new appetites and new attitudes, new desires, new goals. Everything becomes new. And every time we decide, make a conscious choice to replace a sinful desire with something helpful, all of a sudden we grow just a little bit more. The renewal, the inner renewal leads for us to put off those things. And then we'll start putting on the things. And, and it's a process, right? Can I just tell you, I've seen some baby Christians who, man, instantly, God's taken all these things from them instantly, and man, they have just mega growth. But I've seen other people who have struggled lifelong sins. I know they love Jesus. I know, but they struggle with whatever it is, alcoholism or drug abuse or pornography or whatever it is. They just can't seem to get the monkey off their back. And they try and they try and they try to frustration. And what they need to do is stop trying and start dying. That's what they need to do. Personal transformation takes place in our hearts as we identify with him and allow him to have free reign. He's got to do it. He's the only one with the power to do it. So practically, what can we do? Identify those areas. You know, if you know that going to this location always gets me into that sin, it's not the location's fault. The location's not sinful. Your heart is. But if you know it, stay away from that location. You know, Matthew says, pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. I don't think Jesus wants us to all reach out into our head. We'd all have no eyes this morning. What I think he wants is, if the internet causes you to stumble, unplug. If the television causes you to stumble, get rid of DirecTV. What is it? What area? If every time I stop at this grocery store, I end up doing this. Every time I hang out with that person, I end up doing this. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, stop it, right? And then ask God, I need your power. And I'm making a conscious effort and choice to relent, Lord. And you tell me you won't relent until you have it all. And so, God, I've seen how you take things out of my life. I won't give up. I'd rather have it the easy way. And pray and ask for his supernatural power. This is how I want to end. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Because he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. 
He who called you is faithful, and he'll do it. Let him do it. He who called you is faithful. He's never failed. When we fall, it's because we have tried to take back over the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. I think that's how the song goes. Take it from my hand, right? Anyway, there's going to be some folks in the back who would love to pray for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And, and again, I hope you didn't take this as a slapdown beating this morning because it's actually encouraging. What Paul's saying, you used to live there. You used to be that person, but you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been redeemed. Now rely on his power to live like you're redeemed. And I hope that's the message you go out of here with. You are a new creation. If you've got Christ, there's no question. God doesn't make mistakes and he's got no stepchildren. If you've got Christ, you've got eternal life. If you don't got Christ, see one of us after. We'd love to pray with you. But he, Paul is saying, here's some practical ways to, to put off those things. And again, after Mother's Day, we'll talk about putting on and how that looks. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.